Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am the co-host of the show. I am here with our remarkable producer, Nathan Yoder. And today I'm welcoming a friend who's a neighbor, attends Browncroft. Her name's Bridget Schultz. We're going to be talking about the question, why do we love nostalgia so much? And Bridget uh, is not only a friend, a member of Browncroft, she is also our librarian. So you get huge points with Haley and Lucy. How does that sound? <laughs> and and that's the people that really count, you know? You know, I've been told that before. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, so Bridget, um, so the reason why I have you on, you know, you are probably the foremost expert I know in pop culture um, <laughs> from movies, music, and I think our listeners are going to find that out but why don't you just take a little moment why don't you tell us your story and just kind of share with us your faith journey yeah so when you um asked me to think about that i it it was really interesting i think i have a a real family legacy Mm. um my father has his his grandfather um was an orphan that came here um, kind of like as a work program mm. um, via Canada, and then he came to Rochester um, as a as a twelve year old. And we have the Bible that the orphanage gave him before his journey, with a picture of the building. And um, he had a really good experience. He loved um, where he grew up, which I don't think most kids like the orphanage they grew up in (laughs) he went back to visit as an adult and he always carried um that little bible with him and we have a lot of um people in my family who looking back at old pictures on my mom's side uh, my mom is um italian on one side and lots of nuns um her mother is who was going to become a nun before she met my grandfather and Mm. in fact wouldn't date him at first because she said no i'm going to become a nun um but i think the people who most influenced me was um my my grandmother my maternal grandmother and my mom and for spiritual curiosity um it would be my dad's mother who just even in her 80s kept learning had a map on the wall so that when she would listen to NPR or anything she could know where things were and was just always you know trying to learn something new Mm. so but my actual milestones for myself um I grew up in a Pentecostal home um or they were at the time when I was young and I did like an alt. I responded to an altar call when I was ten or eleven on an Easter, and I wasn't someone who went in for um, being part of any kind of conformist thing. So it wasn't because they were doing the altar call, but that I really, really felt like I had to make this commitment. Um, but then. After that, it's all a lifelong thing about, you know, how do you, how do I make my faith my own? And um, in seventh grade, I don't remember um, how it came about, 
But I became, I said to myself and then, you know, said it out loud, I am a feminist and I am a Christian. And the Christian was, you know, first and foremost, but I thought, okay, those are the two things that I am. Probably I hadn't, English teachers were always a big part of my life and I had some really strong ones and that might have had something to do with it. I think one of the biggest things, though, was in 11th grade, um, instead of reading The Great Gatsby, and I was a total geek, wanted to read The Great Gatsby and came in and found out we weren't reading that like the rest of the classes and yelled at my English. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, who does that, you know? But we read this book called My Name is Asher Lev by Tom Potok instead which is about a Hasidic Jewish boy and how his um, inclinations toward becoming an artist kind of go against his family's uh, Orthodox faith. And that was, I I honestly think that book might have been picked just for me because um, that's when I really had to grapple, okay, uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? Some of the things that I'm being told about, oh, you can't listen to this or watch this or whatever. Um, how does how does that work in my life? Um, and ultimately, though, I really grappled with the book. I came to a different conclusion than Potox Asher did. Um, I didn't see the two two as. Um, the secular world and the Christian world is binary at all. I I think they're, it's a false, I don't know, a false narrative that they're opposites, Mm. Um, at least for me. And I do respect people who feel differently about that for various reasons, but I, it was something that um, took a long time, but that's where I went with that. Um, then in college, I got involved in InterVarsity and made some good friends there. Um, so I think that strengthened me to the point where my parents had kind of helped me pick my college and my major, which was communications. And I took my first journalism class, and the teacher said how none of it is like fiction and Basically, I came away from the first day of my uh, journalism class, called my parents and said, I will do what you want for undergrad. You're paying for it. I will pay my way through uh, graduate school, and I want to go to film school. Mm. And um, so then I started applying. I I, um, started for NYU, like most people do. And as I was researching it, realized it might be a while even to get my hands on a camera there. And I didn't have any inside influence or anything like that. So I just started looking around um, on the internet and found um, Regent, which is um, a private Christian college and uh, was able to make uh, a short film my first year um, based uh, based on... um, a police song, <laughs> <There you laughs> which go. was my my script got chosen to be uh, 
one of the two or three produced for that year. That's how they did it. And I got to work with actual film, not digital and everything. So learning how to cut and edit and all of that was really great. Um, And then after that, I was supposed to actually go to um, um, L.A. I had a cousin who lived there. And we were all set that when I graduated, I was going to go and live with her. Um, They lived near and uh, knew some people in the industry and everything. And um, she was going to help me out a little bit. But very, very freak thing. She had an aneurysm and went on an airplane and died very suddenly. Wow. So then I thought, okay, well, (laughs) what am I doing now? Um, And, I mean, besides the fact of, you know, losing someone. um, And it took a little while. I had just met my husband. Um, He got asked to do a spec script for a comedy um, because he knew someone. Um, But he had no idea how to format um uh comedy script so we started getting together for coffee I think twice a week and I would do the writing and show them how to edit everything and the for the format everything was supposed to go into and he did all the jokes um <laughs> and nothing happened w- with the spec script although they did take his exact idea years later and use it so i'm not saying about who it was for or whatever but um you know they changed some minor things um but through that we really enjoyed working together we started dating a little bit after that um and i got accepted into act one writing for hollywood which is um another program to bring Christians into the industry. And there I had to write my creed. I had to really think about everything, about what it means to be an artist and a Christian. But I didn't love the culture there. Um, So, I I mean, I love the program. I love the people. I meant L.A. Uh, I, I am not someone who's into big budget movies as much as Mm. indie things and um, feel more comfortable in the Northeast. Just a lot of that part of the culture, not not the program. I highly recommend the program. Um, So I thought, well, I can write and be at home with my family and everything. Um, You can still be a writer. So that's kind of where I am today. Um, the other thing that I would say that's really instrumental to my own faith and artistry and that kind of thing is um, Madeline Engel's Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art. Mm. I filter everything and how I think about anything ba- based through that book. Mm. That is quite the story. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I was thinking about it. We we had Charlie yeah. on the podcast. And I think you're the first um, 
individual couple like that we've had on separate pods. So there we go. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to go a little off script here because I, I think it's kind of helpful. And, um, you know, you and I have talked a lot. And so, you know, one of the things that I've noticed about this question, why do we love nostalgia so much is you're someone that's had to wrestle the tension of following Jesus, but also, um, you know, you love these certain movies, you love these things. And, you know, it's interesting. It seems like things have changed because I experienced a little bit of that, you know, as a kid where there were certain things that were off limits and there's certain entertainment you probably shouldn't watch just whatsoever. It's just not good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, today, how have you kind of navigated following Jesus? Because it seems like you listen and you watch and you read with in the back of your mind kind of this Christian perspective. And almost, I, I think some of our listeners will hear that and be like, oh, like everything's like the gospel story or something. But you do it almost with a whimsy, um, and the gospel's are really important, so don't get me wrong there. But you do it with, with a sense of even the dark moments kind of point to something. Tell us about that. How do you kind of frame and watch and listen? Because you listen, you you do a lot. Like this is part of who you are and what your hobbies are. And it's almost a spiritual experience. Yeah. um, I think, like I said, I think think Regent, I had some really good uh, professors who, um, you know, taught us about don't look at maybe this individual situation, whatever. What is the whole, what are they trying to tell us and what's the world view of, of mm. the total sum of the parts, that mm-hmm. kind of thing? And then act one, um, I remember being really surprised because uh, before we went there, we had a whole list of movies and books that we had to read before we even got there. And one of them um, was Fargo. And I remember seeing that in the theater with um, a date. And at the time, because uh, we were kind of, I was censored, not with books ever, thank God. That was a saving grace. But I was, my mom was pretty strict about what movies and music we could listen to. So I think Fargo might have been one of the first truly violent films I ever saw. And that's what I focused on the first time I saw it. So imagine my surprise when I got the list. I was like, wait, I got to watch this again? And like, I ha- I have to watch this for, you know, my program? And watching it through a whole new perspective and just the the beauty and grace of Frances McDermott's character Mm. and how she comes home at the end and you know slides into bed next to her husband and there's this there's this safety there and there's this love there that's not out there in the world and that the things that people were striving for out in the world um those things were ultimately you know not the point when you see this last scene Mm. Um, and it actually kind of made me cry the second time, which 
I'm not sure that's um, a reaction many people <laughs> have to Fargo, but that's what they must have wanted us to see, you know. So I think having some people who see the nuance and subtlety, um, having some good teachers that way who come from a Christian perspective um, and learning those things and also having a natural proclivity towards them, even as a real little kid, those, you know, those were nurtured. Mm. So we're going to have some fun, but I kind of want to back up because the reason I asked you to do this, um, I, I feel, I feel like whatever was cool when we were 18 to 24 years old Mm -hmm. is whatever people think are the best. And so it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, I just saw there's probably going to be a Frasier reboot by the time this podcast, you know, goes forth, there's going to be another reboot. And, you know, it just, it seems like there's this need for nostalgia, need to bring something back. We're trying to redo movies. You brought up Great Gatsby. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio's movie, it's it's probably 10 to 15 years old. You know, what do you think it is about all of this, let's reboot, remake, give it to a new generation. What do you think that that says to us about a culture? Well, that's complex. And and I have a couple different things that I thought about that. Um, I think, you know, the cynical view would be that it's easy. There's already a built-in audience for it. Um, I personally don't always love a reboot, but there's also some good things about it too that when you don't take the cynical view. And one thing I was, I thought about, um, y- you know, you asked me to think about nostalgia and I was, okay, so what exactly is nostalgia? So according, because I always use a Merriam-Webster dictionary. <laughs> Love this. So I have, the definition is a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for a return to or some past period or irrecoverable condition. Also something that evokes nostalgia. I mean, that's kind of obvious. Or number two, the state of being homesick, homesickness. And then that un- automatically brought me to, you know, that's that's our human condition in a way. And I thought of, so when I was maybe in college, um, there was a band called Plum. I don't mm. know if you know who that was or not. I had a couple Plum CDs back in the day. <laughs> Come on. All right, yeah. Okay, so you, so you know about Plum. And she had a song called uh, God Shaped Hole. And the... The lyrics were um, a God-shaped hole in all of us and the restless soul is searching. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us and it's a void only he could fill. And our state of being in the world, um, I think, is we're always looking to get back to home metaphysically and, 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 and that state of coziness and love for those of us that grew up in a halfway decent accepting home Mm. you know um so 
there's nostalgia for that. I think there's also um, you can connect. So for the people who are doing these re reboots, if it's not just a cash grab, and you know the difference a lot of time because if you're if you're if the fans are into it and that kind of thing, um, usually, and it stands the test of time, whoever did that thought okay, this is something that I savored and I want to bring it to new people. So when I'm, you know, at the circulation desk and a parent comes up with um, their, their kids and they have like the graphic novels of the Babysitter's Club and how that's been on Netflix, I'm like, yes. And what's even cooler about that, when I was younger, only girls were into that. Now I see little boys too. Um, so I get excited about that every time someone brings up Lambrinth or Goonies, mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, you're passing it on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, my, I think my favorite, my favorite thing of when my niece was little was getting to introduce some of the things that I love to her, reading A Wrinkle in Time with her and Ramona Quimby, age eight. And, you know, as she got to be older um, and a teenager, like Grease and The Breakfast Club and Better Off Dead and, you know, and seeing like her joy in that too. So there is a connection a bridge between generations when it's done well too. Mm. No, I, I think I think what I'm hearing, and I know we're going a little off script, so I appreciate that. Um, you know, I was just thinking about Boy Meets World, which was yeah. probably my favorite TV show as a high schooler. Um, and they did a reboot that wasn't successful, but there was a part of me that wanted to see that because I wanted to see Corey and Topanga with a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, what happened? And, you know, I think even, you know, my friend Jeff has made that comment of we spend most of our life running from home only to want to get back to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even as a pastor, this is where I'll get a little spiritual, like nostalgia actually points to our desire to go back home to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It points to this desire to feel whole. And I think that that's why you mentioned that plum song. And, and, you know, it's just, it's interesting that you can lament all the reboots. You can disagree with all the reboots. You can be love all the reboots and kind of know that, you know, just it's a cash grab or it's a good thing. But ultimately, you know, even what we're doing in this podcast is, hey, hold on a second, like these reboots matter. They say something about our culture because there's an ever-changing world out there. And to grab some semblance of, I wouldn't say normalcy, but just, you know, coming back home, as you said, or even that time in our life, you know, the Bible talks about being a child. Like we're trying to get back there. I think that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, back to the garden, like Joni Mitchell, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what we spend our lives doing in a way, so. Man, well, that's pretty powerful. Well, we're going to come back to that, but, you know, what I wanted to do, I've kind of hinted at this, is since we're talking about nostalgia, you know, I want to get personal. And um, when you think of yourself as a high schooler, and you've already told me pre-interview there might be more than one, 
what movie and what song and what TV show affected you the most? So I'm just gonna let you run. Yeah, TV show was the easiest. Um, it was my so-called life. Uh, just fell in love with it and rewatched it with my husband a couple years ago. Still really liked it. I mean, didn't hit me in the same way, but I still really liked it. And um, I was one of the few, I read some newspaper or something that they were trying to petition petition because there had only been one season mm -hmm. just like uh a lot of other good shows i can think of like freaks and geeks which i didn't discover till i was older so that's why that's not in there but that's a top three peter englert show freaks and geeks it's a top th it's a top three whatever show <laughs> but um but yeah i didn't i that wasn't in my high school time period so um but i started a petition at my high school to get the show back on the air and sent it in to the powers that be and alas it did not work <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's how passionate i was about that um movie is pretty easy um again we were we were pretty censored in our films i think i'm probably the only um american kid who saw in the in the theater my first r-rated film when i was 17 oh and i had permission to go because my friend's mother was going and it was the bodyguard you know like really edgy <laughs> oh my goodness uh whitney houston and kevin Costner. yeah i mean you know you're really getting into some edgy stuff there but yes i yeah i'm probably the only one who but in any case so um how I got around that is I had a grandmother who loved films almost as much as me. And when I would go over there, she would respect my parents' wishes not to take us to, you know, PG-13. Or she went along with that. But she watched a lot of um, classics on television. And um, for some reason, the fact that they were in black and white, I guess slid past them so even if they dealt with I, I I always liked more adult than I was I was an old soul very very young so I started falling in love with a lot of um classics and my my top film um in high school was the Philadelphia story with Katherine Hepburn Cary Grant and Jim Stewart James Stewart um and it's from 1940 and I just I could understand Tracy Samantha Lord's um, icy exterior, but uh, vulnerability on the inside. It just resounded with me. So um, I watched it so much that me and my dad could like recite lines from it while doing the dishes or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I think the other one that would be like more normal for my age group would be uh, Pretty in Pink. But that was, I hated the fact that she didn't end up with Ducky. I was exceptionally upset about that. But I loved Annie Potts' wardrobe in that. So I loved the punk clothes and everything. So that would be, I guess, a normal teenage high school film. <laughs> that That's a whole, that's a whole why God why. Because if you talk to people that watch Pretty in Pink, there's a whole debate on that. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's interesting to note that the the book version does not have her. She ends up with Ducky. Oh. But Molly Ringwald was the star, and she thought that it was the class war that she shouldn't have to end up with being poor, end up with someone poor, where I didn't read it at all that either one of them were going to grow up to be poor. I thought they were already six, you know, um, enough of individualists that they were going to be fine. And I just wanted to see the two of them together. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So those were your movies. Yeah. Um, let's move on to songs. Yeah. So song, I, oh, that was so hard. And I think, again, because we were fairly censored, although my, my dad did buy me when I was real little. He said, okay, I'll, I'll buy you your, you know, your Madonna album. I know you love her. Just put it in the bag and don't show your mom. Don't let your mom know <laughs> that I got you the True Blue album, you know, that type of thing. So high school, I was still, all I had was corporate radio. I didn't have older friends and I was the oldest sister. So I was like, oh, it's not really indicative. I didn't have Amanda Palmer yet. I didn't have Ani DeFranco, the Pixies, Over the Rhine, you know. But um, from what I could get from radio, I guess, um, I really liked um, No Doubts, uh, Just a Girl. I could identify with the tongue-in-cheek and just a little bit of rage going on there. Um, I had that on constant loop. And um, I think because my younger sister, my parents started being less strict and she was able to get the CD. So it's like, okay. So I listened to that a lot. I loved Beck's Loser. Mm. Um, and I remember a unifying moment in computer typing class. Like how ancient is that, that you have <laughs> a computer keyboarding class, Peter? <laughs> And, By the uh, way, I did take I did take it in seventh grade, so I just want to point that out there. I mean, so sad. But anyway, and it was a mixed class. I probably was one of the older students in, in that class, and I remember all of us coming together to sing the lyrics to that, which are just surrealist and fun. And then um, the last one that I could think of at that time was... I loved, and I think this showed the progression of who I became, too. Mm -hmm. um, Delight's Groove is in the Heart. Mm. Uh, they played that at, like, our ninth grade dance or something. And they have video screens, which I think her name is Miss Lady Keir. Had the most amazing little go-go dresses and everything. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to be. And I started dancing. And my friends left the dance floor because they thought it was cheesy and everything. They they were more into like the the whole Stone Temple Pilots and and that kind of thing. And when they were like, "Oh, I just I I don't understand, Bridget. This is so embarrassing." I'm like, "I don't care. This is glamorous. I <laughs> love it. I absolutely loved it." And when I was looking it up for this podcast you know because i was like oh when did that come out that kind of thing i found out that there's a lot of samples in that and there's a part a herbie hancock song that shows up on 
the Blow Up soundtrack from 1966. So it was all kind of like full circle how you still learn things like even just for this, you know. And the Dookie album from Green Day got me started. I love New York 1970s punk because I was introduced to pop punk through Green Day. Mm. Well, let me back up and then we'll answer the TV shows. So the movie that probably makes me most nostalgic in high school and probably impacted me the most is uh, Finding Forrester. Mm. Um, so I think the it's Robert Jones. Um, I think that's his name. But then Sean Connery, of course, is in there. And, mm. you know, it's just it's interesting now you have a basketball player that's secretly writing with this great author that never wrote his second novel. So, you know, and that probably impacted me because, you know, I'm creating a lot of content. Mm -hmm. um, I'm nowhere near the basketball player he was, but I was playing basketball. So that affected me. Um, for and this, you're decent. Well, yeah. At least my my husband says you are, and he's halfway decent. So. Oh, Charlie's good. You know, <laughs> you know, Charlie's he's crafty. I like that. So no, the the song that so I'm gonna break my own rule. I picked two also. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like so I'm just gonna out myself here. I graduated in 2005 from high school. Mm -hmm. So there's you know Mr. Brightside mm -hmm. by the Killers. Mm -hmm. Um. I think that that was, I mean, it went platinum, but I think it really connected with the generation of how do you hold intention, the reality of the brokenness of this world, but also like the hope. And then, you know, I also think how to save a life by the fray, mm -hmm. um, because I, I think what I'm seeing right now and, you know, you know, my wife, Robin, like that was kind of the first inkling to our steps towards mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of her as a therapist, like all of a sudden that became a conversation. So those are my movies, those are my songs. So yeah. I love yours though too. Yeah. So no, those are great. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, our niece is 17 now and she likes Mr. Brightside too. So, mm. you know, stuff comes around. I notice, I've noticed with a lot of younger teens today that they're into like 70s and 80s music the way me and my friends were like the oldies channel mm -hmm. back in our day which was like 50s and 60s oh so it's so yeah because sometimes i'm like why why like Metallica's a thing again, you know? <laughs> and I don't really understand, but I think that's what it is because I thought back, well, yeah, at a certain age, like around 14, 15, I don't know. I, I did the same thing. I listened to the oldies channel in a way that I never did since then. Wow. Well, let's uh, let's go to the third part. What about a TV show? Uh, My So-Called Life. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. We would... <laughs> Um, no, I got so engrossed in the music and stuff. Um, so for me, it was Boy Meets World. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's so funny. I look back, How I Met Your Mother started in 2005. Mm -hmm. um, the Office started in 2000. And like kind of the, there was something about that time that sitcoms were doing really good. So anyways, no, thanks for reminding me of that. So so I think what I'm hearing from you and even what I'm kind of sharing is if we don't recognize the nostalgia in our life and kind of where we come from, because it, it wasn't just you, you liked it. 
you know, you liked those TV shows, you liked those songs and movies. Mm-hmm. There was something you, like, what happens if we don't recognize our deeper love for nostalgia? You can answer that personally or even just your observations. Um, well, I think, I think you're probably cutting yourself off in a way from your emotional Mm -hmm. life if you I know sometimes it's healthier to to look ahead or you know with I have found some mindfulness things um helpful in the present moment which we're really bad at because we can always distract ourselves but it's important to to look back to take stock once in a while you know where where have you come from where are you going with that you know are you are you making are you doing something good today from what you've i guess i guess if you never look back you don't know you you can't really know what you learned from certain Mm. periods you know even ones that are that are tough they make you who you are so you know so this episode is coming out um it's coming out you know towards the christmas season thanksgiving season Mm -hmm. and you know i don't know if this is an occupational hazard because i'm a pastor i just feel like people uh, churches have weird relationships with nostalgia so Mm -hmm. you know people probably won't use the word nostalgia for churches they'd use the word um Uh, tradition Mm -hmm. and so like even in this season I find more and more people that say no I want to sing the carols as Mm -hmm. they are Mm -hmm. you know and and even just during our holiday season like I feel like there's this renaissance of like we want to do the family Thanksgiving we want to say what we're thankful for Um, you know I even think about Advent like you know, having certain times of the year where you focus on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I guess for you, because even listening to you, you you really live in the past, present, and future. And you're like, of course I do, you know. But <laughs> I feel like the way that you engage pop culture, even the way that you engage Christianity, and and I guess as we kind of think of this holiday season, do you think we're overplaying it or do you think it's this need in our lives that because the world's changing so much, there's something about having a rootedness that we're coming back to? I don't know. I'd be, just be curious. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us as Christians, I, I really grappled with this question. Um, I think there's something really important about about some sort of traditions um for instance when I was growing up as a kid we would a lot more than now sing out of hymnals and I found them kind of boring at the time but I find now um me and my husband visit a lot of different churches and if they're doing something from a hymnal 
we can follow along because we know those songs mm. and there so there is something to be said about finding common ground um and those are the ones that i might not have liked much at the time but come back to me in times of need mm. um a lot of time music in general comes back in in times of need um and those are the ones that in my own prayer time those are the ones that come to me i guess because they're the most from memory mm-hmm. um so um and there and there's also something comforting about the fact that you know the gospel it's there's so many generations before us that were were thinking about the same things that we were Mm. um and you know prayers that we can say today that were said by people you know before we were born um so things like that i i don't i know some people say rituals that kind of thing um can be empty and there's a certain um there's some truth to that but there also can be grounding Mm. and a a place of common ground even among the different um the different sects within christianity you Mm. know there's some there's some commonality there so in that regard i think yeah um i embrace that more than when i was younger and you just kind of take it for granted um but as far as tradition, I don't, I mean, but then at the same time, I don't think of, I mean, Jesus definitely was a radical departure. And, and in any culture, radical love and mercy is pretty, it's not really traditional. <laughs> sure. So, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a tension between those two things, I think. Yeah, and... I don't know if our world has changed as much as it has in the last five years. Hmm. Like you think about all that. And, um, you know, I think also too, we live in a time where, again, I don't want to sound philosophical, but the last, like from 1900 to 2000, it was very much, we lived in a world full of the enlightenment and this mental ascent. And, and I'm wondering if we're responding to that in a way where experiential, I need to feel, I need to touch. And, you know, you just think about like Christmas trees. We, we don't have a lot of fights about Christmas trees, but, you know, the Christmas tree, if you dig deep, it's, it's a tradition. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's not empty, but, you know, it's a reminder that Jesus was born and laid in a manger, but ultimately dies on a tree to give us new life. And so that's why we put a Christmas tree in there. So no, I, I think that you're bringing up a lot of points because I, I think that if you live in a culture that doesn't change, Mm -hmm. then change becomes more and more apparent of what needs to change. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm about to cite Moana, but I'm not going to do that. So, uh, (laughs) why not? well, you know, in the, one of the songs, you know, the tradition is our mission. Um, you know, so we don't live in that kind of world, Mm -hmm. but, um, but we live in a world that's constantly changing. And I wonder how many people with nostalgia are looking for the world to come back to normal. I mean, that, that's kind of my 
commentary on it. It kind of reminds me. So I did, I, you know, I'm in a few book clubs, that kind of thing. And one of the ones that we were reading this book called The Address Book about where you live Mm -hmm. says a lot it forms you Mm. anyway okay it's by someone named um dear dear draw mask i apologize if i am butchering your name (laughs) but um yeah she talks about exactly that um there's one part on where she says um pierre nora who has written extensively on collective memory in france has argued that before the 19th century we didn't need objects books, film, music, that kind of thing, to remember the past. Memory was ingrained in local cultures, habits, and customs. But as the great changes of the 20th century seemed to speed up history, and as memory became more removed from everyday experience, we began to feel a powerful urge to hold memories, not just in our minds, but in specific things and places, Mm. like monuments and street names. We want our lives to be predictable, and predictability requires a narrative link between the present and the past that reassures us that everything as it should be. We salt away our memories, bronze them in parks, and tattoo them on street signs to try and force our future societies to be more like our past ones. So memorializing the past is just another way of wishing about the present. And I read that and I was like, oh, this is definitely coming up in in, uh, the podcast. So, Wow. Bridget. 50 minutes have gone by really fast <laughs> yeah. and that 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 closing quote probably sums up the whole episode so we always close our uh, podcast with uh the question what does jesus have to say about this so mm-hmm. you know what does jesus have to say about loving nostalgia um so i'll go first mm-hmm. and you get to clean up the mess i leave does okay. that sound good so yeah. no i you know I, i've just I've just been thinking about how often the Bible tells us to remember and just, I love how you closed with that quote. Cause I think that's the perfect ending. Like Jesus lived in an oral culture and then, you know, the scriptures came together cause people had to write it down and the Bible constantly asks us to remember. And, and I'm wondering if we're living in a time that, you know, the, the cadence and the habits of the gospel of going to church of, you know, Jesus just creating time for his disciples. And Mm -hmm. even as we go into this holiday season, I I think the challenge for us is to continue to, to seek the why of nostalgia, but ultimately to bring us back home in Jesus. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, the apostles and what they went through and, and the disciples. And, you know, I think what Jesus would have to say is, you know, let your memories go back. Because when you do that, you you begin to see the faithfulness of God. Um, you begin to see um, the times that God walked you through darkness. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this question is really important. You know, 10 to 20 years from now, we're going to remember, you know, 2020 to 2022. I mean, and even beyond. I, I mean, we need to look back on that to see where we've came. And I, I think that that's probably Jesus would say, go three or four steps deeper in your love for nostalgia. So Mm -hmm. those are my thoughts. What are yours? Well, um, I guess the, the first thing that I came away with when I was, when I was thinking about that was Ecclesiastes Mm. and 
The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything in which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And that's from Ecclesiastes 1, 8, 8 through 10. But I think is, you know, when, when we're looking at creativity and that kind of thing, the challenge isn't to come up with something new because there, there's no such thing in a way. But how can we make it exciting and relevant for, for people today? And I think that's the church's mission, too. Mm. What a great way to end. Bridget, if people want to find you, what's the best way to do that? Um, I'm, I'm really not on uh, social media because I feel like it takes away time from other endeavors but i am on goodreads so if you're so if you're a reader uh you can you can definitely find me on goodreads goodreads just bridget schultz at goodreads yeah okay perfect well as always you can find us on why click the subscribe button you'll get this episode and a lot of other great episodes thank you so much for joining us 